Welcome to Old Books with Grace. I'm Dr. Grace Hammond, medievalist, book lover, and wannabe contemplative. I'm so pleased to welcome Sophronia Scott today to Old Books with Grace. She wrote one of my favorite books that I read in 2021 called The Seeker and the Monk on her responses and thinking through the writings of the great contemplative and activist writer Thomas Merton. So Sophronia Scott is a Harvard-educated novelist, essayist, and leading contemplative thinker whose work has appeared in numerous publications and received a 2020 Artist Fellowship Grant from the Connecticut Office of the Arts, as well as the 2021 Thomas Merton Award from the International Thomas Merton Society for The Seeker and the Monk. She's the founding director of Alma College's MFA in Creative Writing, a low-residency graduate program based in Alma, Michigan. Sophronia lives in Sandy Hook, Connecticut, where she continues to fight a losing battle against the weeds in her flower beds. And I also relate to that, although I don't have flowers, only a vegetable garden. (laughs) So welcome, Sophronia. I'm so pleased that you're coming on today. Oh, thank you, Grace. I'm glad you asked. Um, So for new listeners, I like to ask um, to get to know you literary questions for my guests. First of all, What's your favorite book or books, I will not limit you to just one, from more than 50 years ago? Uh, I am a Charlotte Bronte, Jane Austen girl. So I've been all about Jane Eyre since I was 13. And I'm also, uh, you know, Pride and Prejudice, but also Persuasion. I saw that you read Persuasion so many times. Um, I have a bracelet. I don't have it on right now, but I have a bracelet with the words of Captain Wentworth's letter uh, imprinted on it. Because I, I just love that book. I love oh, those words. <laughs> I love that. It's so good. And yeah. I think Persuasion is one of those that you, I, it didn't start off being my favorite Jane Austen. Uh, Pride and Prejudice always was like the flashy yeah. one that everybody yeah. loves first. But I think there's something that it's, in persuasion that sneaks up on you and like eventually captures your heart as yeah yeah, exactly (laughs) that that just desire that long-term desire and also with Pride and Prejudice Pride and Prejudice taught me something about myself because when I was I was a teenager when I first read it right and so to me I I did not understand why Elizabeth turned Mr. Darcy down in that first proposal Hmm. I was like what but he asked you and and he seems okay and why don't you marry him right but um, but as I got older and and understood both what what he was saying to her and what Elizabeth knew about herself, I I was it made me see okay now I get it. But it also taught me something about myself about okay this is what it looks like to have self respect. This is what it looks like to stand up for yourself. And I didn't see that. You know, it's interesting that I did not see that um, as a teenager. So yes, so, I, yeah, <laughs> I love that, and I love that. Um the self-recognition in that process. When, and, it, and I think it's, it's wonderful that that came out of a, an early 19th century novel too, where you wouldn't expect to necessarily find that there, that recognition of, of self-worth um, out of a, a woman's mouth in, in a book of that time. But Jane Austen yeah. was so profound in her insight into human nature. Yes. Um, that's a great story. Um, okay, and then my my second. Well, before I get to that, I also want to applaud your choice of of uh, Charlotte Bronte over Emily Bronte. I feel like whenever I hear somebody say that they prefer Charlotte over Emily, 
I, I know that we're going to get along on a book level because, uh, I think Jane Eyre is definitely the superior choice to Wuthering Heights. I just have to get that out there, but, (laughs) (laughs) um, okay. But number two, which literary character do you most identify with and why? Yeah, I am Jane Eyre. You are and, Jane and, Eyre. Oh, yeah. Ever since, again, I think I first read that book when I was 13 and and feeling uh, very much that I wasn't where I was supposed to be in terms mm. of where I lived and, and who was around me and the things I wanted to do. And, and I just thought I was stuck. But Jane Eyre taught me how to think that, that here is a, a character who like you said, women had no agency in the world and she had no family, no money, no nothing. And, and yet she knew that she wanted her life to be different. And she would have those moments in the book where she's like, okay, what do I need to do? Right. I know I want to leave Lowood school. What do I need to do? I need another position. How does one get a position without having friends? And, and you see, she's, she's walking around her room. She's thinking, she's thinking, I must advertise. Right. And, and she, she figures it out. And, and, and that's, that showed me, it's like, okay, that's the process. That's how, that's how you move through the world. You figure mm-hmm. out what you need to do. You figure out what you, what, what resources you have and what you don't have. And then you move forward. Right. And also she understood her, her relationship between herself and her God. Mm-hmm. And she felt the love of her, of, of her creator and what, and that, that God wanted what was best for her. And she trusted that. And, and, and no matter what people like St. John said and, and, and whatever, that, that she, she was, was strong in her faith and in her personality and who she was. Because she was a prickly personality. She was not all hearts and flowers. Yes. Right. And, and so she was, she was strong. And, and yeah, I've, I've, I've loved Jane and, and I understand her and, and have sought to, to move through my life in a similar way. I do. I, that's a great answer. And I think that sometimes the character of Jane Eyre is not appreciated as she should be because people get really upset about the Mr. Rochester storyline or, um, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And, and, but you're right in that Charlotte Bronte does something so interesting, which is that she strips sort of everything away from Jane except this core identity. And to see that in a character is something I didn't appreciate when I first read it. But hearing you talk about it is bringing me back to the, the power in Jane Eyre, um, in her as a person. And that core that is sort of uh, the core of courage and and boldness and resourcefulness that Charlotte Bronte peels back the the layers of, which is just beautiful. Yeah. Um, so for our listeners who have not yet read The Seeker and the Monk, um, I really, really enjoyed this book and found it fresh um, and innovative. And would you mind sharing about it a little more for the listeners who haven't been able to read it yet? Well, you know, Thomas Merton, the he he was a popular Trappist monk who uh, became famous as a very young man uh, after he wrote his autobiography, uh, The Seven Story Mountain, and and then went on to to be hugely prolific, writing uh, first on spirituality and later on on um, topics such as uh, peace and civil rights, and and he died in 1968. 
but um, he was also an extensive, extensive journaler, and he left behind seven volumes. And when I found that out, it, it occurred to me that I felt like I was going to find the real Thomas Merton in these journals and, and not in his other writing, uh, because this is uh, work that was not censored by the, the Catholic censors. And these works weren't published until 25 years after his death. So I found myself uh, reading these, um, working my way through these journals, uh, which were, you know, at times funny, at times maddening, <laughs> you know, and I just find myself talking back to them sometimes. And, um, and just in enjoying, uh, it was like reading letters from a friend. That's how I took it. And, and just being in conversation with him. Now, that was just me reading reading these journals, I did not plan on, I did not go into this wanting to write a book. And if you had asked me, I would have said, why am I going to write a Thomas Merton book? There are tons of Thomas Merton <laughs> books out there. They don't need one from me, you know, but, um, but I was invited by a friend to sit on a panel at the Festival of Faith and Writing. And this was in 2018. And it was a, a panel about Thomas Merton. And as I got on stage, I'm sitting there looking at my my fellow panelists and realizing, wait, these people are are like theologians, like these are people who have, who have studied Merton, and I'm thinking, feeling kind of bit like an imposter, and so I'm like, you know, I'm going to fess up right away, and I told the, the audience this. I said, look, I'm not a theologian, I'm I'm not a, a studier of Merton. I just kind of have this monk who follows me around and gives me advice. <laughs> and I'm going to, I'm going to talk to you about him like that. And so, um, and that's what I did. And I guess I struck a, a tone for, for the people in the audience because they kept coming up to me after the conference, after the, the panel and throughout the conference uh, about how, how much what I said was important to them. And finally uh, a woman said to me, and you're writing your Thomas Merton book, aren't you? And suddenly I'm ding. I'm like, yes, I am. Because, <laughs> because now I could see what it was. I could, I, I, it's like, there was a question out there. It's like, okay, I can see that people are looking for a way to engage with Merton on a more, more a more personal level. It's like, okay, I can share with you how to do that. I, I can do that. That's something that I have to offer that none of the, none of the other Merton books do. And so, let me let me show you. Here's here's how I have this engagement with Merton. And that's how the book came about. I love that. I, I did not know that backstory behind it. That's wonderful. Um, and so that's actually like those folks at that panel. One of my favorite things about this book is your methodology. Um, I'd read Merton before a while ago. I enjoyed the Seven Story Mountain. I've read some of his shorter essays. But really, your book brought him to life for me in a in a more concrete way than even uh, just me encountering him on my own did. Um, and and you call this book a dialogue or a conversation with him uh, throughout throughout the book. And so one of the reasons I was most excited for you to come on and chat is this idea of a of a dialogue of a conversation with a long dead author of the past. Um, and I would love to hear more about your thoughts on, on dialoguing with an author. How do you think that's different mm. from just reading and enjoying? Um, Cause you, you even talk about him understanding you, him knowing you, this is different than just coming to a text and flipping through and going, Oh, that's what they thought. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I think with, with a journal, reading someone's journals is, is totally different, mm. right? Because they are laying it out for you. And, and it, it feels like you're in a conversation with a friend because you're hearing their frustrations. You're hearing their hopes, right? You're, you're um, in their day-to-day lives in a very different way. So to me, it's, and, and I, I love reading communications from friends and such as we all do but you know it's it's it didn't I don't, it didn't feel like he was dead of course right because I'm, I'm because you know these letters felt so these journal entries felt so present to me mm. and and I got the sense of growing with him mm. because his earliest journal entries are when are long before he's a monk. He's he's a guy in his twenties, being brash and bold, and sometimes <laughs> annoying as, as young men can be, uh-huh. right? And so, and to to watch him grow and 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 to feel him changing throughout the years is is absolutely fascinating. So, um, and so, I, and I also recognize some of the his struggles. It's like, oh yeah. I dealt with that too when I was his age or, or as he comes into middle age. Yeah. I know what you mean. I'm dealing with that now, the loss of friends thinking about what does this life mean? And, and so it's, he's, he's talking about the things that I'm thinking about. Right. So it cannot help but be a dialogue. Mm. Right. And I'm talking back to the, the book sometimes like, Oh, you're like, Thomas, what are you doing? Don't do that. <laughs> right. So I don't know. It's, it's, it's just, me giving myself to the the book in a certain way, I guess you could say. I like that a lot. Um, the idea of not only the book presenting itself open in front of you or the journal or the speech or whatever it is, but you giving yourself in return. And that's what makes it this full conversation instead of just a eyes meet text, read, you know, that yeah. read Thomas Merton. That's good. Um yeah. What do you think it would change about our reading lives if we saw ourselves more to be in conversation with these, especially like profound thinkers like Merton, or we're actually recording right now on on Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Um, If we saw ourselves to be in conversation instead of like receiving a lecture from them or receiving lessons from them, do you think that would change how we we're receiving the texts. I, I do think so, because we, we tend to put people on pedestals, mm. right? And if they are on pedestals, then where are we? We are down yes. here somewhere, right? <laughs> yeah. And, right? And, and Merton, Merton talks a lot about unity, right? How we are, we are all one. And if we are, if, if we are truly to be in conversation, then, then I cannot put you a, above me like we are here together. Um, and, and honestly, Grace, I, th- I think that's something that's always been a part of me because um, I've, even when I was in college, I, I never had this, um, this, um, I don't want to say fear, but um, I, I wasn't afraid of my professors. Mm-hmm. I, I, I wasn't in, intimidated or, or, you know, um, we, Harvard, I went to Harvard, right? You said that um, they had this program where uh, a freshman could, take a professor to lunch like like you could take them to the dining hall or, or mm-hmm. whatever and and you know and and have 
a conversation with them. And I, I, you know, walked in with one of my professors. I was like, oh, wow, this is great. I asked one of my professors. And, like, you could see students just flipping out walking <laughs> in here. With, you know, I can't even remember which professor it was. Was it E.O. Wilson who, who died recently? I, I can't remember. But, but, yeah, they just flipped out and walked in with this professor. Like, look, this is my teacher, right? This, I'm supposed to, to be able to talk to him and relate to him. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I, I I really like that, and I feel like um, you know you teach yourself. You are uh, you lead this MFA program, and I I was a teacher too for a long time, and I think I saw students over and over when they encountered, especially something that asked them to think really seriously and to do some self examination as well. They would tend to to put themselves in this low lowly position encountering this great teacher and there's so much freedom that I'm hearing from you in in even just your story of walking into the to the cafeteria with this professor beside you but there's so much freedom in this idea of I'm approaching this text to think with you you know I'm I'm approaching this conversation as a conversation partner and I'm gonna ask questions and be curious and I'm not just going to take it as handed to me down from this high position of authority. And that was something that took me a long time to learn, but even to learn to do that in, in reading is, yeah. is different than, um, than, uh, you know, it might be a little easier when you're like, Oh, I'm just talking to a person right now, but, uh, but you're still just talking to a person when it's in the, in a book. And there's something yeah. that if you're giving yourself to it, it, it can touch your heart and, and touch your mind in a different way than if you're just saying, well, I, I guess I better take this in because this person's smart and I should learn from them. Yeah. But compassion, it's, it's about compassion, mm. right? When, when you, you, when you have compassion for what another person has, has been through, mm. even to think about what it took for that writer to, to bring this learning to the page, right? Even if it's, it's not a, a journal entry, Right. Yes. To, to think about, um, you know, I, I saw that you read Harry Potter, too. You know, one of the Harry Potter films, I love the Harry Potter books, but um, but Harry Potter in, in the Order of the Phoenix, when he's teaching the other students, he says, remember, the great wizards were just like us. They yes. had to start somewhere, too. Yes. <laughs> right? And yes. and um, and it's he's, he's calling forth their 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 greatness. Like, like we are all on the same journey to to become and, uh, you know, people who understand this life. So I see it the same way that, that, you know, it's like these people, they think deep thoughts with no more brains than we have. <laughs> and, and, and it's, it's about that of, of we're all on this journey. We're all seeking to, to have learning and they're just a little further down the path than we are. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. Um, so practically speaking, um, so any tips or anything, how can, listeners dialogue do you think with authors we respect and enjoy so for people who aren't used to thinking about approaching reading this way how did you go about it when you were reading and writing I know it it came to you naturally in some sense but did you also have things that you know made you cue in at certain points or practical uh, tips while you were reading and writing and thinking this way that that people might be able to practice on their own I, you know, I would wonder how how to put away how to put how do you put away that that fear that you just described that yeah. that sense of 
you know, sitting at the feet of a master, right? Um, you have to figure out first how to, how to put that away. Yes. Um, I'm not quite sure how to tell people how to do that, but, but maybe it's about being willing to, to come with your own questions and, and challenge, right? So maybe, maybe you have to sort of uh, get into a position where you want to ask questions, but, but like get some energy behind it where you're saying, okay, I'm not going to take this. I'm not going (laughs) to just let this person talk at me. I'm going to, you know, now you're going to dial that back a bit, but maybe that's what you need to get started is to jumpstart yourself to say, you know, I'm going to read this and, and he's going to have to prove to me that yes. um, he's worth teaching me. You know, kind I of actually thing. love that because I, I do think, um, I, I do think there's something to be said for, for a, as, as you mentioned, learning to identify that fear in yourself where you're kind of withholding yourself from what you're reading a little bit, either afraid to let it change you or afraid of the person who's writing it, both of which happen. But then secondarily, I always told, I, when I was teaching medieval literature, which has its own set of challenges, I'd be like, look, we're always tempted to go fast over the parts that we don't like or that we don't understand. Like just kind of get through it, get to something I get, and then I can sit there, you know? Right. But instead of doing that, to to look directly at what you're not understanding or what or what is like what you're tripping over. And instead of I know when I was a young student, I would I would I was an English major and I took a theory class and I just remember oh my gosh, it was a disaster for me. Like I I felt so dumb the entire time. And instead of just being like, I'm dumb, I don't understand, I I can't do this. I had to learn to be like, what are they saying though? Does it actually make sense? Or like, it could not be my stupidity that's keeping me from this. Like, what are they saying? And I think that is bound up in that fear bit that you're talking about and that getting some fire behind your reading. I really like that idea. Yeah. And it's a valid, those are valid questions. Mm-hmm. So, and, and actually that's how I came to read the journals is because I read seven story mountain and felt like there was stuff missing. Mm. Right. I felt like, okay, I, I just feel like he's not telling me everything here. <laughs> Right. I feel like he's equivocating and, mm-hmm. and there, there's something. And, and I came to Merton because of something I read in um, someone quoting conjectures of a guilty bystander. And to me, those words were exciting and freeing. And so to read seven story mountain, I was like, this does not sound free. There, there's something missing here, but I didn't know what, and I didn't even know how to explore those questions. That was just something in the back of my mind. And it wasn't until I accidentally found out about the journals or, or no, I found out that his work was um, censored, right? That that mm-hmm. all Catholic writing went through a process, especially someone as prominent as him, uh, went through a process. And that's when I realized, oh, and then I learned about the journals. I was like, okay, I'm, <laughs> this is where the real Merton is. <laughs> this is where that free person is. And mm-hmm. I'm going to go find him. I love that. Um, so... Um, I think this relates to to something I I'm also interested in and trying to practice myself and and that I'm I'm hearing you and feeling really inspired by which is that you had uh sort of found yourself in Merton unexpectedly where you had been pursuing a path with him because you were tracing these threads that seemed broken or knotted and you were going okay this doesn't match up with that dynamite thing I read earlier 
and I, I need to dig deeper. And uh, it, it reminded me of uh, that, that sometimes we find those certain writers and thinkers who speak to our soul and instead of going deeper into them, we kind of just read lightly everywhere. I think this is the temptation of the internet, right? And of mm. right now where, where you, you take a little bit of everything, which is good in a lot of ways, but I think your book becomes an invitation for me to, to really lean into one writer and just see what comes out of it. Do you think that, um, what do you think has come out of that practice for you? Like, what are you now years on post book, post this practice, still like gleaning from, from leaning in so deeply to one particular person? That, that you, you make unexpected um, discoveries. Uh, And it's interesting you asked me this, Grace, because I, um, a professor at Alma recently just asked me to visit his class next month. And it's a short story class. And I, I sent him a story, a short story of mine that is inspired by a short story of Flannery O'Connor's. Hmm. And I came to that Flannery O'Connor story because I read the complete short stories of Flannery O'Connor. And I, um, and I happened to mention in my note to him that, that it was an interesting exercise to dive deeply in a, in a person's writing in that way, to read one person deeply. And, and, and it was hard because her, her, her work is very difficult, but that in doing so, I could see her patterns, I could see her growth, and eventually I came to be inspired by the way she worked with structure and character and mm-hmm. plot. And I would not have come to that if I had read only one or two of her stories or, you know, like you said, read in a surface way. Mm-hmm. So, um, so, yeah, I think it's, I think it's important to, to do the deep dive. And I'm, I, it has me thinking now. I'm, I'm actually working my way through um, the the plays of August Wilson. Hmm. So uh, because I feel the same way that that I want to see and get a sense, a full sense of that project of his century cycle. And if you don't know August Wilson, uh, he wrote ten plays, um, each in a different decade that described the African American experience in this country. Huh. So um, so some of them have been. Um, have been made into movies like Fences, uh, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Mm -hmm. um, um, Seven Guitars, uh, Joe Turner's Come and Gone. And, um, but I've never read all of them in sequence. And and I want to do that to, to see, and he didn't write them in order, but, but I want to read them um, Mm -hmm. in the, the, um, the timeframe, the chronology that they're meant to be. Oh, that sounds really intriguing. I'll definitely, I, I, had not heard of him before and I'll definitely I've heard of those movies but I had not heard of the mind behind them so I I will definitely need to dive into that Grace there is a Broadway theater named after August Wilson so yes we should know August Wilson he is on a he is on a stamp well I have to tell you that I have never seen a Broadway play which is very sad but part of the the bane of living far away from from such a place um oh my gosh okay well I am learning I will look it up uh (laughs) what do you think was the most uh, treasured thing that you've learned in conversation with Merton um something I I really enjoyed about your book is that you cover quite a wide array of topics 
but with him in that conversation that we've been talking about. Um, and you bring up um, the ongoing reckoning with systemic racism. Uh, you bring up, you know, I, I mentioned, as I mentioned, you, you're from Sandy Hook, Connecticut. Your son was present at Sandy Hook Elementary um, during the school shootings. And, and you write with raw honesty about with Merton on thinking through these things, which is, can be surprising because he's a white cloistered monk from the 1960s. He probably never imagined something like a school shooting. I mean, there's a, there's a, uh, this difference of life experiences there. Um, and I, I found that really thought provoking. Could you talk more about that? Well, those are two different things, right? The shooting and, and race. Oh, but, yes. Very different. But, 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 um, but at the heart of it, Merton, Merton addresses everything to me, starting with his spirituality mm. and then connecting with humanity, mm. right? So, so when, you know, I'm thinking about race, and, and how do I deal with it in a way that is in line with who I am as a person, mm. right? Um, which is that, that sense of unity, that, that this can't be a win-loss situation, right? That, um, that, that we are all one. And so how, how do I deal with this in the day-to-day? And, and to hear Merton talk about thinking in terms of nonviolence and thinking in terms of compassion, um, there's a part where he's, um, I found a, a, an academic letter by Gregory, um, a paper by Gregory Hillis that talks about Merton writing to a black priest who is frustrated by the, the racism that he encounters in the Catholic Church and, and um, how he can't speak out on it because his bishop is giving him a hard time about it. And Merton encourages him to have compassion for his bishop. You know, know that this, your bishop is, is, is schooled in this and that this is where his heart is. And so you have to work for his conversion, but you have to have compassion for him and work for his conversion. And I, I thought that that spoke to me, um, that, that this is a matter of faith. This is a matter of, of not upbraiding this person, this bishop and saying, oh, you're a racist, but understanding where he's coming from and trying to offer him a compassion that he doesn't yet know in himself. Mm. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, so, you know, and, it, and for him to offer that for Merton to offer that, right. You know, you, you just said, you know, he's a white monk, you know, in that voice, he is not speaking as a white monk. He's talking, he's speaking person to person. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I, I'm again, going back to Jane Eyre, right. She challenges Rochester, you know, this is as if we have passed through the veil and we stand before God equal as we are. Mm-hmm. Right. So mm-hmm. so Merton understood about having conversations like that. And so that's what I'm seeking to do. That's what I think about when I think about addressing racism. Mm-hmm. And so so to me it, it it made sense that that he spoke to me on mm-hmm. that. Right. Um same thing with with thinking about the the, sh- the shootings, right? How um, 
how do I come back to compassion in terms of understanding that mm. and, and how to move forward in terms of, 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 um, you know, thinking about the issues that have come up since, like involving um, frustrations with gun control and, and things that, that, you know, you think would have happened by now, but have not. Right. Um, yes. But, um, but being in a place of anger and frustration is, is a cycle that, that can damage a life because you would be constantly in that cycle, right? Um, same thing with racism. If, if I don't find a way to think about this from a place of compassion and faith, I could constantly be in a, a space of frustration and anger. That's no way to live. No. Right. So, um, so, t- so to me, his, his conversations um, spoke most to, to who I want to be as a person hmm. and as a Christian. Mm-hmm. I love that. You, so in your bio, you talk about being a contemplative thinker, and I think this is deeply related to what you just <laughs> were talking about, but this is something I believe that the world really needs right now is um, contemplative thinking and contemplation in general. And and I just would like to know, what's your practice of contemplative thinking like? What does that look like for you? Well, it's an ongoing awareness of, of, of what's going on, just being very present in the present moment and recognizing the big moments when they are there, but, but also thinking, you know, does this have to be this way, right? And if not, what is the best way to proceed, especially if I don't have an answer in that moment? especially if the answer is, 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 um, is not there and will take more than just a moment to think about, right? Sometimes mm-hmm. these things require more than just, like you said, use the surface, you know, you said surface. Sometimes these, these figuring things out require a lot of thinking, a lot of, of rumination and, and not just, you know, in the moment. Well, let's see if this will work, right? Um, and I can't describe that. It's, you know, I am a person who meditates. I'm a person who prays, but, but this is something that, that to me, meditation and prayer bring you into a space of ongoing awareness yes. of, of, of the given moment. And that's, that's how we live, right? We, we live in any given space and any given time. I'm here in this moment with you right now. And I think that that we need to learn how to to be right because otherwise, whether we know it or not, we're often not present. Yes, right? they're here, and okay, I'm thinking about having to go, um, you know, pick up my son from something, or I'm thinking about the paper that I have to write, or I'm thinking about this, this. But what does it mean to be in the present moment? And I think we recognize it. I find it interesting how many times I've, I've done um, interviews just like this one on Zoom, although, you know, your listeners can't see us interacting, but um, I've done interviews on Zoom and I've heard people comment on how I'm so present. And that's interesting because obviously they recognize it, right? They, they're seeing it on the screen. They can recognize it. So then why is it that we don't seek to be in the present moment Mm -hmm. right there's a discomfort with it yes there is and and it's almost like we're 
trained in some ways to be uncomfortable in the present mm. moment. You know, um, no. I think of uh, how our, well, for, for one thing, that's literal. Social media literally socially engineers you to be constantly flitting about from one thing to the next, returning to that app or whatever it is over and over and, and not, uh, not able not able to both fully focus on it or to set it aside. You're in this in-between space. Um, and, and I think that is, uh, that's something that as I read your, your writing and as I, I do my own reading and writing, thinking about how reading and writing deliberately intentionally helps us so much to, to be present in the way that you're talking about. Do you have other writers that you consider great conversation partners in this practice of being present? Uh, well, first of all, uh, we should think about reading as an active yes. um, thing, right? Um, if you see pictures of Merton reading, you'll see that he often has paper and pen in hand as yes. he's reading because he's taken notes, right? Yes. Um, and, uh, and it's, uh, it's interesting that I want to tell, um, something I remind my son to do, um, because he's going to college next year. And, and I feel that that's a habit that that's going to be even more important to him as he yes. goes. But, um, uh, Howard Thurman is, um, someone I've only discovered recently and I find him a great conversation partner, Barbara Brown Taylor, who both on page and in real life. Uh, she and I converse about these things and she's absolutely delightful, uh, brilliant. I love her. Um, and, and this is going to sound funny, Grace, but um, I wish I could have a conversation with Robin Gibb of the Bee Gees. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You know, another dead person. <laughs> because, um, because uh, I, I guess it was last year I started, um, learning things about the Bee Gees. Like I'd never known anything about their lives or their work. Uh -huh. And there was a, uh, there was a, a, a documentary out called, um, how, how do you mend a broken heart? And I started learning about their creative process and, and their lives. And I just thought it was absolutely fascinating. So I went and got a book and I was reading a biography and I learned that Robin Gibb, um, when he was about 19 or 20, was in a, a terrible train accident. Hmm. Um, a, and it turned out it was a, a well-known, awful train accident. Like 50 people died. And, oh, my gosh. And um, he, he talks about how there's a moment as the train is spinning over. It was a derailment. The train is spinning. And he talked about feeling this moment of silence. Hmm. And, and he was saying, I'm not a spiritual, you know, he's like, I don't go to church. And, and I'm not, you know, you wouldn't have called me a God person, but, but he said he felt in that moment, there was a calm and he felt a presence. And, and when the train had settled, it was like, he felt a calm come over him and he knew exactly what he needed to do. And he got himself and his girlfriend out of the train hmm. and they're walking along the, the top of the train and she's, she's freaking out. She's not calm. But um, then he starts helping other people get out. And, and it's only after at the, at the hospital when the adrenaline is all gone and, and he's, he's, he kind of breaks down then. But, um, but I know what he means. I feel as though in moments of, 
of stress and, and trauma, I've known that moment of calm that he's talking about. Mm. And I just want to talk to him about it, right? To, 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 to see if, if, if he has a similar sense of where that comes from and what it is and, mm. and, and just, I just want to talk about it. <laughs> right? Oh, it's so, I, I'm, it's fascinating to hear you talk about that, that still moment, that moment of calm. It makes me think of, so I'm a medievalist and I am woefully lacking in 20th century and 21st century writing. And, and, but it makes, and I'm sure there's so much good stuff to be found there with this, but it makes me think of Dante at the end of Paradiso when Dante talks about God being the still point of the moving universe and the stars all wheeling around God at this still point at the center. And that's what I, what I hear when I hear your beautiful description of that moment of, of stillness. Yeah. And it's like, um, it's like you have to trust it. Yes. Right. That, that whatever is happening no matter how terrible it's going to be, I am with you. Right? Mm-hmm. God says, I am with you. And, and whatever happens, right? And it's like, okay. And, and then you, you move through whatever it is that you have to do, right? Yes. Um, I'm, I'm fascinated by um, the, when you look at medieval texts, you know, I... Uh, you had something on your Instagram recently where where you were looking at the Middle English or something like that of of Matthew. Yes, and it's it's fascinating to me how the words can be different and yet the essence of them is so beautiful. Um, you know, all ye that travail and be charged, come to me and I shall fulfill you. Yes. Right. I shall fulfill you. And I, I, I just found that absolutely fascinating. It's like, wow, <laughs> you know, just a different word. And yet the essence is the same. And yet I take it so differently. And that's, that's exciting to me. Yes. I love that about, about Middle English and about, Really, I, I think it 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 all goes back to your idea of this conversational practice with the text where you go, oh, it is the same as that Matthew that I've read before, and it's all ingrained. That's such a popular verse. We've heard it so many times, it's so ingrained. And but then when you hear it cast in somebody else's voice, it's the same yearning and the same longing. But, but you hear it and you go, oh, Jesus was saying that in Middle English to those folks at that moment. And, and it is different to you, even though you're right, it's the same essence at the heart of it. But it just, it's like looking at a beautiful picture or, yeah. or you know, a giant painting in a museum and you have these bits that all, you, when you step back, you see it still in its form. But when you step closer, you see these small flecks of paint and small flecks of color that you didn't notice because you were looking at this other part of it, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, 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 and Grace, this also speaks to what we were saying about having the teacher up here and, and yes. you know, <laughs> right? take, take, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am mild and yes. meek in heart, right? That does not sound like a teacher who's up here, no, right? No, and you shall find rest for your souls, right? Yes. So, so I don't know. It's like 
we are told, right? We are told these things, it, it, con contemplative thinking, right? To pay attention to, to what we are told and to say, wow, do, am I living this? Do I understand that, um, that, that this is someone who is walking with me and not mm -hmm. ahead of me, mm -hmm. right? So, yeah, yeah. That, that's, that's what it's about. I, I think that's a great spot. I, I, I want people to take that away from this conversation. I think that's a great spot to, to now ask you the last question, which is a basic business one. Where can interested listeners find you online? If they want to learn more about you, if they want to talk to you, where can they find you? Oh, um, my website is just my name, Sophronia.com. And that's Sophronia with a P-H and an F. <laughs> um, but on, also on, on YouTube, I mean, these are on my website as well. But on YouTube, uh, pretty much every Friday, I post a short video called Your Morning Walk with Sophronia where I'm, I'm often just, you know, talking about stuff exactly like this, <laughs> whatever's on my mind that week, but it's just a, you know, four or five minute video. Great. And do you have like social media? Do you have? I'm on Facebook. I'm on uh, Instagram and Twitter. Perfect. And, uh, and yeah, and, and I'm at the uh, Alma College MFA in creative writing. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I have enjoyed this conversation. It's just been a lovely moment in this day for my soul to listen to you talk. So thank you for that. Oh, you're welcome, Grace. Thank you for inviting me. Be sure to read Sophronia's book if you haven't yet. It's a real treat. If you enjoyed this episode of Old Books with Grace, I'd really appreciate it if you subscribed, rated, and reviewed on your platform of choice. And if you'd like to see more of what I've been up to, sign up for my free Substack newsletter, Medievalish with Grace Hammond. I'm also around on Twitter at Grace Hammond PhD and Instagram at Old Books with Grace. And I'd love to hear from you and hear your thoughts about this episode and if you've read this book or are a Thomas Merton fan. Next week, the Lent series on the vices and the virtues begins a little early, a small pre-Ash Wednesday treat. Thank you, as always, for listening.